Podcast Episode 47, a sequel chat movie review of Spider-Man Homecoming. I want pictures of Spider-Man on my desk by noon! Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. So, uh... Here we are. We're on Sequel Quest Sequel Chat again. I'm so excited. I've been doing this for over a year now. So, Jeremy, I have to ask you, am I actually part of the Sequel Chat family, or am I just kind of an intern still? Uh, I uh, really wish you hadn't asked that, but yeah, we still got you as a intern on all of our paperwork internally. But, but Jeremy, I'm nothing without Sequel Quest Sequel Chat. Well, if you're nothing without Sequel Chat, then you don't deserve it. I, I shouldn't have it? <laughs> very nice, very nice. Although it sounded like we had a Christian Bale playing Tony Stark for that brief moment. <laughs> By one note, I'm too. battling throat cancer. <laughs> oh, that was good, though. That was good. I love it. Alfred, where's my honey and tea? <laughs> I need tea. All right, well, folks, this week we are talking. Well, the webhead himself. Spider-Man Homecoming, and off the top, I just want to say, welcome home, Spidey, where you've always belonged, in the MCU. Is that giving away too much here? Uh, As far as the legal constraints are allowed, yeah. Well, yeah, well. Alright, so we all saw this. You guys went opening night. I had some other obligations, and so wasn't able to actually sit down until late last night. And uh, I totally wish I didn't have to work today because I would have gone back. <laughs> wow, okay. That's high praise. It's, it's high praise, and it's also a pretty dense film. There are some questions I'm going to ask because mm-hmm. as much and as at attuned to the MCU as I am, there's some questions I I really want to play around with, kind of mentally, and see where we stand, really, in the MCU with this. So, right off the top, let's go through, and before this, who was your definitive Spider-Man? Uh, can I go first? Uh, go I'll, for it. I Sam Raimi's 2004 uh, Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire, that for me was just a profound experience. That was, that was my favorite one, easily. I went and saw it because it opened up on my 18th birthday at midnight. So I just I got a whole bunch of my friends together, and it was the first time in my life I, for my own money, went back and saw a movie twice on the same day. Wow. Because <laughs> it was such an incredible experience, so much fun, and the audience makes all the difference, everybody cheering and hooping along. Hey, he stole that guy's pizza! All those great moments, okay? <laughs> So, um, yeah, for me, that was definitive. I mean, I understand people may have issues with Tobey Maguire's uh, cry face, which can be kind of <laughs> off-putting. There, there's a lot to uh, <laughs> digest yeah. with Toby and with a- Andrew Garfield. So, mm-hmm. Adam, yours, it's, it's like the 1977 version, live action, wasn't it? You knew it! You 
got it. Yeah, here's the thing. So, <laughs> uh, I, something Hammond, the, right? Yeah, Nicholas Hammond. There we go. Spider-Man TV movies that led into a TV series in the 70s. Now, here's the thing. It, aside from a few character names and the costume, it wasn't very comic booky. That That show was more like an episode of the Rockford Files. You know, it was just like classic 70s gritty detective stuff. But uh, the thing for me is I used to watch that like on Sunday afternoons, you know, it'd be like the Sunday afternoon movie on Channel 5, you know, and then you get to see live action Spider-Man. It wasn't the first time I saw live action Spider-Man. That was actually on The Electric Company. If anybody remembers that wow. Street competitor. Yeah. Um, but so but I, that, so I, those Nicholas Hammond films always had a special place in my heart, whether he's fighting Kung Fu guys or drug lords or whatever he was doing. Like that was exciting. Now, it's not to say like the Raimi Spider-Man. I loved it because it, it, that was as close as to the classic comic book universe of the 60s as we were going to get with elderly Aunt May, like a spot on J. Jonah Jameson. Peter Parker is a perpetual loser. But my problem with the Raimi Spider-Man is he wasn't jokey enough. You know, like when he was in costume, he pretty much was just serious or he was like, no, you know, and he's a little too buff. And like you mentioned, so much crying, so much Tobey <laughs> Maguire crying. But that was that actually carried over to Andrew Garfield for me as well, where there was it was so heavy on like the psychological drama and the conspiracy of Peter's parents' death and like oh everything's connected you know and to me that weighed down the films the only bright spots with Andrew Garfield was the Peter Gwen love story like that you know obviously they dated in real life so there was real right. chemistry there and that showed on screen and in the second film they got the Spidey attitude and costume right for the first time I felt like on screen. So I loved it for that. But um, yeah, so like, like I say, the seventies kind of wins for me uh, <laughs> just, you know, because of the, the nostalgia factor. But if I'm going to be real honest, I'm going to have to go to Tobey Maguire mostly just because of the sincerity. And like I said, they really tried to keep, you know, Sam Raimi did a good job of really sticking to the comics as best he could and just updating a few things here and there. You know, obviously, mechanical web shooters went away, went organic, but I was fine with that. That was James know. Cameron's idea, by the way, during right, his time yeah. making the treatment. Right, because he was originally going to be the one to produce that. Oh, he was going to flat out direct and have right. Leonardo DiCaprio be Peter Parker. Right. <laughs> that would have yeah, been you crazy. Could... Yeah, you could find it online. You could find his scriptment, which is like his comic book, you know, storyboard of the film uh, that James Cameron himself put together. Mm -hmm. If you look for it, it's pretty yeah. cool, actually. I mean, for the 90s, it would have been all right, you know, but I'm glad we waited until Sam Raimi oh, got the reins. Literally, when they made their first attempt to try and do a Spider-Man movie for theaters, the tagline was literally the event movie of the 80s. And they kept trying, and they kept trying, and it went from studio to studio, picking up ideas as it went along. That, that's how the James Cameron thing happened. And then finally, in 2002, by the time Sam Raimi did it, that screenplay had probably been through at least 20 writers. Now, mm -hmm. Adam, we, we talked a little bit about this during the Masters of the Universe show, didn't we? Right. Like, the, we, they had the, the rights to Spider-Man? Yeah. Yeah, Canon Films. So people who don't know, you know, Canon Films, yeah. like you said, Masters of the Universe and Breaking lots of Charles Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Films. 
Yeah, all those crazy low budget films. And that was like at the end of the 80s, they were putting all this money in. You know, they bought the rights to Superman. They made Superman 4 Quest for Peace. Uh. I mean, they were putting so much money into their movies that they essentially got bankrupt by the end of the eighties. So they were done producing films, but Spider-Man was that one that just didn't ever quite make it through, but they were touting it for a long time. And yeah, it was, I mean, with James Cameron behind it, it would have been good, you know, but it's one of those things you can actually, I'll, I'll just plug this for a, a website called comic book resources. They uh, have uh, promoted an article that's uh, on their website. So if anybody's curious about the history of why that did come to be go check out comic book resources i think it's just cbr.com yeah and you'll find the article there because they do good work also reporting but yeah i i think it's crazy what could have been but i'm thankful for what we've gotten and where it's brought us to now right so my my definitive spider-man was the Raimi trilogy uh granted toby and andrew both had it's been broken down pretty simply as this, that Toby was Peter Parker. He's the definitive Peter Parker up until now. And Andrew has been the definitive Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to get the full package together mm-hmm. until now. Which, granted, I saw Homecoming last night. I got home... And I had to put it to the litmus test. So I went and put on Spider-Man 2 and pretty much watched them back to back just to get a a feel and see where it stands with everything. And we're going to definitely get into this towards the end of the show. But uh, that original trilogy probably just, it had so much to it, but also had a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I struggled a lot with the third one, though, with the dancing. Right, the, we all did, and the emo, and I just, I, I just, oh, it sank it like a stone at the end. I'm now, sorry. yeah, for me, the biggest thing about Spider-Man Three is my favorite version of Spider-Man is the black costume. My old email address was symbiote such and such, you know. <laughs> so like, so like, I love that whole storyline. I own like all the major issues and comics associated with it. But for me, like what they did with the black costume was such a waste. And then obviously, you know, the Venom situation didn't work out any any better. But really, to me, it was just putting Sandman in there, too, and then making Sandman tied into Uncle Ben's death. That, for me, was actually more egregious than Topher Grace's Venom or anything else. Like that was just like. And I reached the point where they need to start paying royalties to writer Paul Dini for coming up with the idea of the sympathetic supervillain who just has a sick family member. That's the reason why they're committing crimes. The the Mr. Freeze thing, you know? Oh, I've I've got a loved one who's sick. That's why I'm committing these crimes. I just feel like that's been done, overdone. And I I think we're going to get into that here with this villain, because I think they've also found a way to perfect that type of storyline as well. Well, then again, Marvel Studios was involved, so. There you go. (laughs) Well, actually, my my real definitive Spider-Man wasn't even one of the live-action. It was more the 90s cartoon. Christopher Michael Barnes. Yeah. Oh, he was great. He was great. Greg from the Brady Bunch. Yes, movie. that was great. <laughs> I, I was I flipped when I found that out too. How could I have been so irresponsible? So But it, no, he really did personify Peter Parker oh, and yes. Spider-Man. Absolutely. Because he got to play both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And and they were able to explore so many excellent storylines yes. within that that it made kind of the movies just kind of pale in comparison. But, I mean, they're still watchable, yeah. most of them. But the the big issue with the original Raimi trilogy was they leaned heavy into the old uh, Uncle Ben's death Constantly. the whole time. Yeah. And it's it's like the, the first one, okay, that's granted that's the origin story we needed. The second one where it comes out that, oh, well, I need to tell you this, May, that I I didn't do anything and that's what led to it. And I could have done something, but I didn't. And then she gets all ticked off at him. But so quietly, though. She just quietly stands up. And yeah, the worst room. kind. Yeah. The worst kind of I'm disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that would have been fine if they had just wrapped that up, tied it with a bow there at the end of the second one. But they had to drag it back for the third. What? And, and I just... Here's the thing. The first time I saw Spider-Man 3, it was playing quietly. That the, There was no audio. Oh. And so that flashback at the end where, where uh, Flint Marco, right. Sandman, explains everything, it genuinely looked to me like he didn't kill him after all, and it was still that other guy with the weird hair. Right. And I'm like, that would have been so much guy better. Guy Fieri? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that would have been so much more dramatic if it turns out Flint Marco didn't do it after all. Right. He went he's and been wasting in prison and, for it. And he's... Basically, has been trying to Spider-Man in the black suit has been trying to murder an innocent man. What would that have been? Innocent of murder, that is. Right. What drama would that have been to, if they had gone that route? Because visually, yeah. I was thrown that way. And I, to full out retcon it and make it so that the Sandman of all the villains, I'm sorry, he's not one of the greats. <laughs> to make it so that <laughs> Sandman killed Uncle Ben, I just that's actually I'll go out and say it. It's worse than having the Joker kill Batman's parents. Yeah. Okay, so where <laughs> we could go really yeah. down the rabbit yeah. hole with yeah. the failings of that one. But the the thing I did notice when I was watching last night, Kevin Feige was a producer on Oh yeah, he on the original yeah. before the MCU right. Outside of the MCU, he produced a good I want to say 16 films for yeah. Marvel Enterprises with other studios. That's how he got his experience and that's why he's yeah, like the, the X-Men oh, films, yeah. Spider-Man. I mean, he's been there, yeah, since the beginning of Rich- all, like, the real heyday of, of superhero yeah. cinema. Richard and Lauren Donner specifically brought him on to be a production assistant on the original X-Men in the year 2000 because they said uh. his encyclopedic mental knowledge of the Marvel Universe alone made him an asset. So they brought right. him on. The rest is history. Well, and that's so, where, where we now, hope now this is, DC This is the one go. thing I wanted to say. We're, we're talking about, you know, the... Uh, that, like I said, they, they leaned so heavy on, on the Uncle Ben thing throughout the Raimi trilogy. And again, really the same situation, not so much Uncle Ben, but my parents in, right. you know, in place of in the Garfield films. But for me, like what's interesting about Homecoming is it's a very plot driven film as opposed to like the deconstruction of a superhero's psyche. Like there's so little introspection from Peter Parker in this film. We're rarely alone with him, like brooding over the situation or anything like that. He's always talking it out with somebody in a quirky conversation. There's a whole bunch of energy, you know, there's no crying, there's no emo moments, you know, like it's, it's such an interesting way to just like what they do. And 
literally just drop you into here's the life of Spider-Man. You got your 20 minute, you know, uh, film, you know, uh, preparatory film, you know, in Captain America Civil War. And then now here you go. Just here's this kid's life now. I think it was an interesting way to go. And I, I have my own additional comments about that, you know, as we go along. But do you guys agree? Do you feel like it's more like plot, plot, plot instead of character, character, character? The big takeaway I had was that this film is about how much fun it is to be Spider-Man instead of just the, the brooding responsibility. I mean, don't get me wrong, the brooding responsibility is still kind of touched on, but overall, this film was concerned with, wow, that is a fun thing to do, swing around and all that stuff. Right, and at the same time, he didn't do a lot of swinging around. Oh yeah, that was a that was a fun yeah. joke. You know what I mean? Just basically doing what a spider does. Right. For, 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 for the cliche. <laughs> But yeah, that was a great gag when he's like, I'm getting ready to five swing and he has to run across the grass. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, that this is also the other side of this is that Homecoming feels to me like Marvel's first attempt at creating a movie aimed at teenagers. Like, because the adult characters are all like in supporting roles, even Tony Stark, you know, he he's there, but he's like the authoritarian figure coming down on Peter. Four so scenes. Actually, yeah. Right, right. But I, I felt one step removed from the story as a result because I was like, am I watching a Disney Channel Spider-Man film? Because it really felt like that to me in terms of just the attitude. And you're literally with teenagers 75% of the film. So, it's from okay. Peter's perspective. So, and, yeah. and that's totally understandable. Yes. So let's walk through what the plan is. Because it's been reported all over. You can probably go out and find it just about anywhere. Um, but this is essentially a five movie deal between Marvel Studios and Sony. Sony is funding and receives all the profits from the standalone Spider-Man movies. So this one, the box office movies, but Marvel Studios is doing the production story and uh, casting and creation of it, but just in collaboration. And then Disney gets all the merchandising. Right, because they hold the merchandising mm-hmm. card. And also, I'm I'm sure that, Sony that's is That's part paying... of the deal. They, they said, we'll let you, Sony, do all this stuff, but we keep the merchandising stuff. Right. So that, that's what I meant, the yin and yang. Yeah, thing. the yin and yang. So, and of course, yeah, Marvel Studios will get their production costs paid by Sony out mm-hmm. of that. But that that's yeah. movie making. Mm-hmm. But all the profits... Stay with Sony. Win-win for them. They get a hit movie that's going to keep going. And they can keep in business, I guess. Because they've shown they can't do Spider-Man well on their own. Not just that. They, as a studio, as a film studio, they have seriously been talking about shutting their doors. Because they've been doing so bad in general lately. They needed this deal. So, we, we have for sure two standalone Spider-Man movies. This also includes three Marvel Studios cameos by Spider-Man. One in Civil War that we've seen, one coming up next May in Infinity War. Hopefully it's more than a cameo. (laughs) Well, it's been said around what he got in Civil War. Uh Uh-oh. So, like, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, granted, they're out out in space. You can't give a major plot line. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard between 60 and 70. Yeah. 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 And and then the fourth Avengers film. 
which is untitled because it's going to be a spoiler for what happens in Infinity War. They're hoping to keep that under wraps until the end of the end credits of Infinity War, and that'll reveal the movie's title for the next year. So Gauntlet, right? There's these, and then what they're going to do is that fourth Avengers movie will end pretty much all that's happened in the MCU. And it'll be a new beginning. And the Spider-Man sequel will kick off, quote, minutes yes. after. The oh, working wow. title is Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Right. <laughs> it's I, not going to be called that. <laughs> Seriously, that's the working title, but it's not going to be called that. Right. I mean, yeah. it's just the, well, it's a sequel, so we're just going to yeah. call it 2 until we have an actual title for it. And that's how they'll kick off the next junction or juncture of marvel cinematic universe so with that in mind this movie essentially picks up where spidey's dropped off after civil war yeah and so we get kind of the the pre during and post of what happened in civil war for spider-man seeing it from his point of view his own little edited student film that was right wonderful I did that kind of crap in high school all the time. Such a wonderful touch. Right. And it kind of... Yeah, a fun way to get the exposition out of the mm-hmm. way and catch up the audience if they had not seen Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. also gives potential to, oh, I could be a photographer, videographer down the road, kind of career path tease. We don't know. We'll see. So shall I jump into this synopsis? Because yeah. it's going to cover... The movie, and then we can go from there. Yep. Uh, this, this is a little long, because the the one I found that I've been playing with, it, it goes pretty beat by beat. So we're going to get most of the movie covered, and then we're free reign. All right. Speak with authority. All right. So the film opens in New York City at the ground around the Avengers where they battled the, Ch- the Chitari. Wow, I can't speak. Where the Avengers battled the Chitari, salvage worker Adrian Toomes, played by Michael Keaton, is showing his co-worker a drawing that his daughter made of the Avengers in action. They proceed to work on taking apart the Chitari Leviathan and gathering any tech they can get their hands on. Soon, a van and a bunch of people from the U.S. Department of Damage Control arrives and they begin to take charge. They order Toombs to stand down, shut down his operation, and adds that they will be confiscating all that they have recovered. Toombs protests, even punches a damage control agent when he makes a snide remark to him, and Hogue, the head woman of damage control, then reasserts her demand to Toombs to give up his work. Well, Toombs learns that Tony Stark is in charge, or is behind damage control getting created, and Toombs gathers three of his workers, Jackson Bryce, played by Logan Marshall Green, Herman Schultz, Bokeem Woodbine, and Phineas Mason, Michael Chernus, to begin their work in gathering Chitari tech regardless of what they were told. Eight years later, Toombs and his guys are still at it, with Toombs using his vulture suit to bring in a new bag of Chitari power core that they have just stolen. Now, hold on. Eight years. This this is That's one thing that off. throws me for a loop. So most MCU movies take place 
quote-unquote relative to their release date. Iron Man 1 was classified essentially 2008 was when that happened. Now, seeing as this place takes place minutes after Civil War, it had put it in 2016. So, does this mean that the attack on New York happened in the same year as Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk, and Thor, because the three of them were within a week, that it all took place in 2008? The other thing that's throwing me off is I was under the impression that once Tony Stark drops Peter off in the car, like six months go by. Two months. Two months. Okay. Yeah, it's two months, months. and then it just kind of slowly progresses throughout the school year. Because it was made clear in Civil War, it has been eight years since Tony Stark announced himself as Iron Man. So how... (laughs) It's just mind-blowing. Adam, is this timeline jiving with you or well i i think it could work for me because i could i could see like thor happening simultaneously with the iron man films because like with iron man 2 do you remember how long it what they were trying to say because i think it had only been like a year or something oh it was that right so it was months after like just it, a few months yeah, yeah it all happened really close together yeah, because I and I because I remember you know you had Whiplash watching it on TV right then they just flash forward a little bit from there at the beginning of Iron Man two so so like I could see all you know the Hulk and all of that happening kind of around the same time and then Avengers occurring you know so yeah to me it does it didn't mess with me too much although I was I did know like for example that Doctor Strange takes place before Winter Soldier, right? Because they reference him there. So, like, a couple of those things threw me off. But with this particular timeline, I was like, okay, you know, the but you know the New York, you know, Battle of New York and all that. Like, okay, that happened. That's fine. And then, you know. Did it? Uh, we... Wait, hold on. <laughs> Doctor Strange didn't happen then. Is that not it? Because they mentioned Stephen Strange. Yeah. Right. They, they mention him. I yeah. believe that was just kind of planting a seed name dropping because of who he was as a doctor. Yeah. Like they knew he was going to be a big deal. The the winter soldier program, they were going to take out anyone who had potential to stand up against them or be strong willed. So he would fit under that category. So the other crazy theory I have bouncing around in my head is something's going to happen in infinity war to mess with the timeline. And we're just kind of, you you ever seen the third Harry Potter film? How it just kind of stuff. Right. I just I don't know. It's, I know yeah. It bonkers. Well, well, one thing I'll mention real quick before we jump into Peter's story here is, uh, as I mentioned before on the Wonder Woman podcast, I you know they had a Native American character that film. I'm living among the Native Americans currently, and the Michael Keaton's first line when he pulls down, you know, he's holding up this picture of the drawing of the superheroes, and he says. You know, by I when I was that age, I was drawing cowboys and Indians. Oh right! That, that he gets corrected to say Native mm-hmm. Americans. Yes. So again, my my audience filled with Navajo people. It was a real like kind of grumbled, muffled laugh because it was almost like it's kind of like oh white people, you think you're being racially right. sensitive saying Native Americans? How cute, you know? So <laughs> just like it was it was a, a funny reaction to sense in that room right off the bat. You know, again, most people probably are not thinking about that line as anything. You know, oh that's a joke. He's he's old fashioned or it whatever. Sounds like you know? you 
you experienced a great moment. <laughs> it was. Everybody's like, oh, 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 oh. yeah. So anyway, it, it was pretty unique. So anyway, the the timeline does have me really kind of nervous as to how this all plays out, or if this was just an oversight by Marvel Studios. I wondered that myself, but boy, they're really... <sighs> they're got, usually, like, yeah. down to the little yeah. nuts and bolts got that thing squared away, but... Uh, let's skip the synopsis. I mean, it, you've seen the movie if you're yes. listening to us, and if you haven't, Treat spoilers! Yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go see it. Go back and see it again. I mean... It. I'm doing that. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be seeing it again soon. So, yeah. where do you guys sit with with this movie? Like, what were some of the character standouts? The side villains, the villains, the high schoolers. Like, what what stood out to you character wise? First off, uh, for me, the authenticity of the high school setting, and I like how Flash Thompson traditionally has always been kind of a physical bully. Yeah. This time they made him into a very verbal slash intellectual bully. Now, I did hear something about that because as soon as it was announced that he was going to be Flash Thompson, the internet did what the internet does and gets ticked off. And some people sent him death threats. Oh, that's this is ridiculous. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, so what he did was he took all of that hate and built it into his character. And it kind of comes out in the movie. Like, you could, you kind of feel it. Oh, I didn't Yeah, know. I mean, That's he's got the scary. venom. He knows how to spew it. And the, the, it was interesting, yeah, because you, you kind of get a realization as to why does he pick on Peter. It would have been nice if it was fleshed out a little bit more, but, like, I agree. You know, Peter... I the sense yeah. I got was jealousy, though. He's the alternate. Yeah. Peter was the got first place, well, and he exactly. wished he could... He wish it was reversed. Okay, totally. so they fleshed that part out. Mm -hmm. But it's essentially Flash is kind of jealous because they're intellectual rivals. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't a traditional high school where you have you got the jocks that are dumb, you got all these other guys, the nerds and the geeks. You have all that, but everybody's kind of on the same playing field intellectually. Like, you will have people that stand out above that, which I believe that's kind of where they're leading Peter to be. But he just... It's a completely different playing field with this. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have an intellectual rival. And the best way to show that in this was we're on the academic decathlon team together. And so they fleshed it out by saying, yeah, you're not good enough to be on the team, but you're an alternate with Flash. So he's he's acting out as a bully because of this in all the other facets of life. Mm -hmm. And he's able to flaunt it because not only is he a smart kid, he's a rich kid. Yeah, that kind of And too. so that's the one thing that he's got over Peter is this economic disparity. Mm -hmm. And he rubs it in. That scene with his dad's car, though, that was great comeuppance. <laughs> that was such great comeuppance right there. Uh, this is what I, the, this is what I think of your opulence. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, essentially, Tom Holland's Peter Parker is Iron Man Jr. 
right? I mean, that's really who he is. He's he's a, a younger version of Tony Stark who happens to be a nicer kid, doesn't have, you know, there the are attitude some beats. that Tony has. There are some beats in this film I feel totally match what Adam just said. Well, uh, agreed, yeah. which I, I have the feeling we won't be seeing Iron Man after the fourth Avengers. That's been my theory, too. Contra- so, contracts and everything. Well, right. I mean, his contract is astronomical as is. Like, the, the latest Avengers films, he got $50 million. Yeah, box office receipts. Right. So, yes, there was a lot of good setup with that. Mm -hmm. Flash, there's enough animosity that will carry on throughout the rest of the films. But wasn't Peter Parker also kind of Tony Stark Jr., but without all the damage in the comics? Yeah, without the money, yeah, without the psycho, he's got a different type of psychological issue that causes him to not drink his troubles away or whatever it is, problems with his dad. It's the guilt over death of his uncle. So you see how that, you know, a genius kid can take a totally different path, but still want to be a hero ultimately. Like, that's what I love about this Peter Parker is he's not a mopey loser, like Peter Parker was originally in the comics and, you know, neurotic and everything as in the films, but he's an overeager kid who wants to be a grown up superhero before his time and right. keeps getting into trouble because of it. But he's always a nice guy and he's always, you know, he's again, he's never brooding. He's always just this kid who's like, Oh yeah, I want to do it. I'm, I'm so ready guys. Oh, and then he messes stuff up. Like it's, it's a really endearing quality that to have that type of attitude in, in there. And can I just say, I really like the inversion. Here in the real world, when we look at Marvel, easily, by far, their most popular character is Spider-Man. He's like head of the pack. It's pretty fair to say, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I love how in that universe, he's this punk kid who's looking up to the other Marvel heroes. And he's like, oh, I want to be as good as them. And I'm like, here in the real world, we think you're better than them. You know? Right. I, I just I love that inversion that he's just the plucky kid who's trying to measure up. And he, you know. Well, there, now, the there one was, thing I will say, he's yeah. meant for great things, but he just doesn't quite know it yet. Right. Know? And there was also the the one panel where Captain America's telling Spider-Man that you were the greatest of us all. Well, in, in the comics, Spider- Spider-Man always was an outsider in the superhero community because yeah. there's the Fantastic Four. They were like the big public superheroes that everybody loved, the Avengers. Like, they all had public approval. Right. And because of J. Jonah Jameson, Spider-Man was always under suspicion. You know, he's got a full mask on. He could be a criminal, all those things. So <laughs> yeah, yes. he always has been one step removed from everybody else. So it it's totally in line with how the character has traditionally been you know, established, at least in his early days in the yeah. Marvel Universe. Yeah, he was never really a full-time event. Avenger. He was always kind of a part-time deal, if that, right? Right. That, that's I mean, the understanding yeah, he I have. Reserve member until like you know the early two thousands when he became a full-time Avenger, leading into Civil War and all of that. But not my favorite uh, decision. But right. still and in I, turn. Shoot, he almost spent more time as one of the Fantastic Four than he did as an actual Avenger. Well, well, the Fantastic Four disappeared, and he was with Ghost Rider and Hulk and Wolverine. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, there was that, and then uh. um, of late, they also had him when it was the oh, oh what was yeah. it the Future Foundation or right? I forgot with the white costumes. Yeah, the white yeah. costumes. <laughs> so I mean, I, he's been around. He's done yeah. a lot, but yeah, he's he's usually been the outsider kind of wanting in kind of not which i 
I'm glad they kind of teased towards the end of this one. And they kind of played up some other loose ends from Civil War. And some teases. And, oh man. So much. But even, even in the Civil War comics, Spider-Man was overriding Tony Stark's programming in his own suit that he was mm-hmm. given. So... I would have liked to have seen more Peter doing some of the overriding in this one rather than Ned being the the man in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to give Ned something to do. And speaking right. of which, so that's a thing that is a departure but is a welcome thing, right? Ned, Peter Parker never had a wingman, right? That, right. that was He was always a loner. He, uh, and... Harry Osborn didn't quite fit the bill yeah. because of his uh, supervillain yeah. ties. Yeah, well, and also Harry was always like my rich buddy who's like you know, yeah. Mr. Party Animal, and I'm lucky that he gives me the time of day type <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm just happy lucky to be around him, you know? But but Ned in this movie, I, he is so lovable, that kid. Like, Such a scene just, stealer. Yeah, just a bundle of joy. Now, I will say he was so excited, I couldn't understand a lot of his lines. Oh. But like his whole... But his gag, like where he's like asking all these questions constantly to Peter, can you do this? Can you command an army of spiders? Ah, do you shoot? You know, it's just all those. Can you spit venom? (laughs) But I love also their friendship because, again, Ned and Peter aren't like damaged by being social outcasts. They're content in having fun together in their own geeky world. They're like, you know what? Yeah, I don't fit in with these people over here, and I fit in fine a little bit with my uh, academic decathlon team or whatever, but they're just happy being friends, and I think that's so right. That's what happens when you're a nerdy kid. You find other nerdy kids or one or two, and you guys are buds. You know, you don't need the rest of the world, you know, and their opinions. Other than that party excursion that was attempted. Uh, right. Yes. But yeah, yeah, that's largely true. I just... Gosh, what happened at the party with Flash Thompson, though, that had to send them back to their own uh, domain. I yeah, know. yeah. So, okay, um, let's talk another character here, because this is going to be very divisive. Mm-hmm. Michelle. Yes. Or as it's revealed at the <laughs> end, she says she doesn't have friends, but her friends call her MJ. That, I think, was just a nod and a wink. The same way Christopher Nolan had John Blake turn out to be, your real first name is Robin. I like that name. You know what I mean? I don't think... John Blake was not literally the Robin. It was right. just a wink, you know? I think this is the same thing. I think what they're doing is they're steering away from the actual Mary Jane, but mm. Michelle is going to play that role in the future. Or that will be a similar relationship until we get to the point of now we can bring in like a Gwen Stacy or an MJ. We've distanced ourselves from the past Mm -hmm. and now we can move forward. Now, before we get into Michelle, because I I have a few things to say, the one thing, uh, the other Peter Parker girlfriend name drop that was in this was Betty Brandt. Doing oh, the school yes. news. That was nice. Oh my goodness. That was fun. That great was name drop. Yeah. Those, those, <laughs> oh, those stupid videos. They were terrible. But, but they were they, funny. But, at my school that, that's school. how our announcements were at my school, also. Yeah. The, the green screen background and stuff. We did all that. It was just so incredibly true to life. Oh. And, and, and speaking of Peter's girlfriends, I love the misdirect with Liz. Your bio mission, we're led to believe it's Liz Allen. 
Liz Allen. And that, that that's, you know, by omission, right, we were right. made to think that. And what a great reveal at the end. Yeah, well, now Liz... When you find out I her mean, real last name. Well, yeah, which mm. is weird. I, I, I would like an explanation of that, actually, because they, they could have dropped one line like, oh, yeah, my dad died when I was young and he's been my dad all my life or some weird thing like that, because, you know, I don't know. I guess we could jump to that now. And well, get it may have. It. Right. It may have been something where she just didn't take on his name. Yeah, the the kid wasn't. It's just, I'd never even heard her last name at all either way. Right. So it, I'm, so I'm was, wondering if if you knew the comics, by, I guess by you omission, did, if you yeah. knew the comics, you'd assume she's Liz Allen. But right. It doesn't sound like it was a step relationship or anything like that. I... Mm. Well, that's what's strange about it. They they should have given some indication mm. because it's kind of an unfair reveal. Then it's like ah, oh, gotcha. It's like yeah. yeah you didn't give us anything. They used everything. They used last name. They used the two, they so used the ambiguity down. by not using her last name. And right, let's just come out and say yeah. it. They used race as a way to. Granted, yeah. most of the kids they didn't use last names for. I Except for specific Even ones. Even Ned, we didn't hear his last name was Leeds, right? Right. I don't believe so. I just think that was in casting. But if he becomes the Hobgoblin someday, that will be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if it goes that direction. Um, Spider-Man! <laughs> but go back, to, go back to Michelle real quick. Yeah. My audience really did not connect with her weird for the sake of being weird uh comedy for like the first three or four jokes of hers it was just silent nobody chuckled nothing and i felt the same way i was like okay they're pushing this too far but then as soon as she said i'm not obsessed with him i'm just really observant and you're like oh we get it now she has a crush on him so she's awkward and she does so you're like ah okay she wants to be noticed for being weird okay now we get the psychology then they started laughing, especially when she flips him off when he gets to the dance. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Uh, yes. Doing the fake wave and flip off. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was pretty good. The, 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 uh, <laughs> another big laugh was when she's like, I don't want to go in the Washington Monument. I don't want something that was built by slaves. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, yeah. not really. But then they look at the security guard. And, and he's like, and, he, mm, and yeah. the security guard is black. And he nods his head. <laughs> and he's, the gestures, it was all so perfectly timed. I got to give credit to the director, John Watts. He's just... His previous two films are not comedic at all. How he hit these right. beats is amazing. <laughs> now, what do you guys feel about the comedy, though? Was there too much? Do you feel like that yeah, took it, away from the adventure of the film at all? It didn't take away from the adventure for me. It's just I understand that comedy that broad isn't going to work for everyone. A lot of people are going to be put off by it. Um, me, I'm fine with it. But I know a lot of people who that's one of their biggest complaints about Marvel Studios is that they think the comedy is too broad sometimes. But it worked for me, though. It, it didn't hurt the adventure at all. And it didn't hurt for me how dark the third act was. I thought it was pretty dark. Right. And that's where I'm going with it is because they laid the comedy on thick enough so that it helps even out the dark and deep into the dark that they get later on. Mm-hmm. So that it's it's a fairly balanced movie, and you're able to rise from that darkness. Yeah. Now, I I I felt like I, I I did notice, you know, about 20 minutes into the film, I'm like, wow, wow, this is a yuck fest. This is just constant joke after joke after joke, and all of it is kind of in a way at Peter's expense, you know, it's all character driven, but it's like, he's inexperienced. He's naive. He's whatever. And that's the joke. So the only, the only commentary I have on that is for me, 
I hope someday, someday in a Spider-Man film, we get to the point where they present Spider-Man's comedy. Spider-Man is the jokester who lays on the comedy to cover his stress and anxiety in these dangerous situations when he's fighting people that have the power to kill him. You know, like that's he puts on the costume he becomes a different person and he throws out these one-liners and is making up pet names for the villains and all of that like that's where the humor for me in spider-man was always like that's why he was been my favorite superhero all my life and they still haven't done that in any of the films andrew garfield was the closest but it's still like i just wish that they could get to that point because now it's like at spider-man's expense almost the comedy and more more that was on display the most for me in that scene where he's chasing the bad guys in the van through a suburban neighborhood and he's crashing through people's, you know, their, uh, their lattice work, their walls, <laughs> destroying their sheds. And I was just like, guys, like that was my Batman v Superman. They're destroying everything moment on a smaller scale. Yeah. I'm like, he is causing damage to people's homes maybe it's because i'm a homeowner i'm i'm upset about this <laughs> <laughs> spider-man i'm not going to give you the pass get that. off my lawn i was like the, the other thing about that is in a captain america or civil war in his introduction scene he talks about having the goggles because it helps him focus all the hypersensitivity he has right, right. so he has spider sense in this movie they do not mention spider sense at all. And in that moment, it's not as though he was being dragged by something where he was out of control. So he's running into everything. He's just being clumsy. And that doesn't make sense. If he has spider sense, he has precognitive abilities where he can anticipate everything in front of him and avoid it. Cause he's super acrobatic and all those things. So for me that like totally took me out. Okay. You, you've, damage the character for the sake of a joke, you know, and to, to reference Ferris Sam Bueller. Raimi's films had a lot of that too, though. Moments where he got sucker punched when he shouldn't have. So yeah. that's, okay. that's always so, been a problem, I think. So Adam, your, your, your gripe is about the spider sense. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> Kevin Feige has come out and said it was not going to be highly present in this movie. We're downplaying it because in the other movies it got a lot of play so they were going to slowly build back up to it he said that you can loosely apply that he has some in his appearances much like in civil war when he kind of sensed the shield coming back at him and a couple points where you're like "Ooh, the eyes popped big oh he sensed something but it's probably that he's not yet accustomed to it so he's not reacting to it as he should. Kind of, he's building up to it. Well, but he seemed so seasoned in the airport fight. Like, he was not clumsy at all. Like, he really had some moves and skills and poses, which, again, are not in this film. Classic Spider-Man poses, we get nothing, which I was a little sad about. But, like, so it, it just seemed incongruous <laughs> to me, like, how he was introduced, and now he's taken several steps back. So, so, I, so yeah. in other words, your gripe is the same as mine with Wonder Woman in BBS. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. So, but, but uh, otherwise, like, the other thing I understand, too, is he's got an Iron Man suit, essentially. So I understand that he's getting all this data through the suit. So I understand how having Spider-Sense 
would be kind of you know, overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, overwhelming. And, and why would you mention it twice? It was like, oh, I sense that and the computer's telling me. So I could see why they would downplay it for that reason. But yeah, I, I just missed it a little bit because I, I think that's one of his best powers. It, it leads to a lot of cool stuff he can accomplish. But All right. So uh, how, how much of the, the comedy when he was in DC and he and Ned over, they overrided the training wheels protocol. So now he's got all of the options available on his suit and he doesn't know anything about it. And he's trying to go do his spider thing. Like did, did that comedy play? Did it work? And then how about suit lady? Well, loved her. Love it. Karen, <laughs> love you. And do we know who does the voice? Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Jennifer Connelly. Fun fact. Married. Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead, Colton. Um, she is married to Paul Bettany, who is Jarvis and now Vision in the right. MCU. Yes. So oh. might we have a Jocasta down the road? <laughs> It'd be Ooh. nice to have her. She's lo- always a, a lovely presence on screen. I, I will uh, accept Jennifer Connelly. Like, I love that she's like a flirty Siri. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got, she's like AI that seems to have some emotional capacity. So she's acting like a counselor for Peter, in, you know, in one scene where they have this back and forth. And she even says, like, doesn't she laugh at him at one point? She's like, your jokes are so funny. Like, she's like flirting with him. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it was a really interesting way to play the, uh, the automated suit, you know, no presence yeah it it definitely was interesting and i'm kind of glad that he did get locked in the damage control facility because it allowed to quickly speed up the oh we we actually need to learn about this suit and see what Mm -hmm. it can do before we get out into the world again yeah (laughs) Now, Colton, I wanted to ask because we we mentioned the Washington, D.C. stuff, and obviously the big set piece is the Washington Monument Rescue. Mm -hmm. You saw this movie in IMAX. Yes. And as I was watching that, I was like, Colton is getting a totally different experience than (laughs) I am right now, seeing from the height that Spider Man's looking down and all that. What did you think about 3D? (laughs) Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was. First off, it was beautifully photographed, but also, yeah, I felt just a smidge of that vertigo. It was, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a well done scene. And even though so much of it had already been given away in the trailers, seeing it in its proper cut with nothing missing in context, in context with all the dynamics in place, seeing him leap off of it, fly around the helicopter, build the momentum and smash his way inside. Really good action scene. I liked it. And then flashes button on the end. Do you know Peter Parker? Yeah, <laughs> I love how in the, hung up on that. I love how in the comics, and it didn't fully come out in the film, but it's kind of there. He's always ragging on Peter, but he loves Spider-Man. Flash just, yeah. I love the dichotomy of that. Um, now, one of the things that I like too was post the Washington Monument scene, you know, because the thing that keeps happening throughout the movie is Peter's disappearing to play Spider-Man, right? So he's ditching all his responsibilities and all these things he's supposed to do. And he has this conversation eventually with Liz. 
And the thing that I loved about her characterization, I just thought she was so well-written. You know, she's more mature. She's a senior, but she's a caring person. So the thing is, like, she makes a call to him on his cell phone. She's not mad at Peter for disappearing. She said, like, I'm a little upset, but I'm more worried about you. So are you all right? And then even at the very end, during this time of personal tragedy, she listens to him kind of apologizing and say all these things. And then just says, like, I hope you work through whatever issues you're having. Like, she really does care about then she's got to get on with her life. Like, I just thought that was such a great, like, it's just like real, you know, it just felt so real, but also not what you would expect. Oh, I'm just, I'm so upset with you, Peter. I'm angry that you keep ditching out. What kind of person are you? All those things. I'm so disappointed. Like none of that. It's just like, you know what? I'm going to deal with this. How I'm going to deal with it. You know what else I like about that dynamic is that all throughout the Spider-Man films, all of them from Sony is that played out trope of I've got a love interest and things get in the way. But don't worry, we'll pick it up later. And then he drops it. And he tries to pick it up later, on and on. This thing with Liz, they gave it a pretty good denouement. And they made it very clear this is not going to be dragged out. She's moving mm-hmm. away to Oregon. Right. Um, I think it's... Did I, did I miss it? They never kissed, right? No. So they Which did one? pay homage to the Raimi trilogy mm-hmm. when he saved them in the Washington Monument. And he's hanging upside down. And yeah. they're like kiss him yeah and then uh, and then there's a pause and it looks like they're starting to lean and then spider-man falls from the ceiling yeah well i didn't even catch that i didn't even think i wasn't thinking about the Raimi films at all because it's such a different vibe but Mm -hmm. that's cool yeah that's pretty awesome also shout out to the uh the washington monument ranger lady (laughs) she was pretty hilarious just her delivery of everything was pretty funny like just so deadpan and, and awkward, you know. I just I thought she did a great job for her few minutes of screen time. Probably the best park ranger tour guide since Phil Hartman, and so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> oh, now the one thing we haven't talked about yet, though, we got to get into Michael Keaton as the vulture. Oh, Adrian yes. Toomes. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty much a a ticked off guy who got screwed over by Blue Tony Collar. Stark. And now he's seeking his revenge by becoming and making, he's making a lot of money for his family. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. essentially everything he's doing is to leave his family with a pretty decent living. Yeah. So what stood out good or bad in his portrayal? Well, I think it's what you said, like the fact that, like, cause a lot of bad guys, like villains in films, they start out with that motivation and then they take it too far. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm doing this for my family. Don't you understand? Or it's really boring. Like Sandman and Spider-Man right. three. But in this case, like, yeah, he's, he's literally doing it out of this psycho love for his family. I have to provide for them. Rich people took away that opportunity for me. You know, I was doing great, you know, salvaging all this stuff and then they ripped it away. So now I'm going to do what I have to do. They're not going to make it easy on me. All right. Sure. I'm a criminal, but I'm doing right by my family. And then everything that he, his behavior never goes over the top. He's literally like, I'm running a business, and if you get in the way of me being able to provide for my family, that is a problem, and I'm going to tell you. I'm not necessarily going to kill you on purpose, but I might do it on accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I just I loved that, that it never felt too far. 
like even by the end when he's it's always like kid leave me alone stop getting in the way of what i have to do to take care of my family do you understand like i've given you it out i'm not going to kill you even though you've already caused a lot of trouble for me i just want you to leave me alone please you're in the way like it, it was it was an amazing performance he wanted to also say i'm grateful because you saved my daughter's life so right yeah and it's almost like there's a little bit of respect between them mm -hmm. because we get that in the cutscene. He has his opportunity to give him up, to give up his identity to the Scorpion, or who will become the Scorpion. Mac Gargan. Yeah. By the I way, I recognized, the him from, yeah. <laughs> I, I recognized him from. Yeah. I recognized him from the actor from Breaking Bad. Ah, I, or yes. it might be Better Call Saul or both. Yeah, I think he was both. But yeah, I know I've seen him before. Yeah. So that, that was, he had the opportunity, but he chose not to. Mm -hmm. Whether that's because when he gets out, he's going to take care of him himself, or the fact that if he gives him up, there's a chance that this can come back on his own family because he knows Peter and his daughter were close. He, so, he also knows Peter has connections to the Avengers. Yeah. Um, there's also, you have to take into account, uh, Peter tried to save his life and his wings were getting ready to explode. And he probably has some gratitude for that. Yeah, Agreed. absolutely. Yeah, like you said, that mutual respect. But I, mm -hmm. I, the thing that I loved the most was when the reveal happens that he is Liz's dad, that the tension in that kitchen. Oh, the air was I sucked out of the theater. Yeah, yeah, I felt yeah, like too. Peter's so freaking out, and you know that you know Tubes doesn't know yet, mm -hmm. and Peter's just like, "Oh wow, what do I do? What I I, where do I go with this? Like, that's just you feel it for like five minutes mm -hmm. straight. You're just your heart is racing. You're like, what is going to happen here? That is a classic. That is a classic moment from right out of the comics. I mean, not a direct adaptation, but that dynamic. That oh, is yeah. part of what made Spider-Man so special in the comics world. Um, here's a a great scene that Stan Lee, and he always bragged about making the scene because it's a great scene. Uh, Doc Ock is pretending to be reformed. And he uh, starts dating Aunt May. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting in the living room. Aunt May does not know about his criminal past. Peter comes down to meet him and is freaking out, but has to hide his freak out because he knows who Octavius really is. Aunt May doesn't. And Octavius doesn't know who Peter really is, that he's Spider-Man. And Stan Lee was like, Shakespeare couldn't write stuff like that. <laughs> So, so proud of himself. <laughs> okay, so this same dynamic was in the Raimi trilogy also uh, between part? Harry, who was oblivious to everything. Oh, they flipped it, though. Green yeah. Goblin figured out that Peter was Spider-Man, but not vice versa. Yeah. At least not until way later. But, that but what is table. it with Spider-Man fighting his friend's dads all the time? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, the Honest trailer's like, billion to one odds, all of his enemies happen to have personal social ties to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, but, I but mean, that's who that, does it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's who he interacts with, mm -hmm. and chances are one of them is going to be a supervillain. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of which, real interesting turnaround for a C-level Spider-Man villain here. But I, but as soon as I saw the jacket with the yellow waffled arms, I was like, oh, Shocker is in this. The Shocker. Who doesn't shock people at all. That's Electro's gig. He has vibro, you know. Vibro right. What, what are you, with the WWE? 
But the fact that that first guy, yeah, just is the shocker, takes it too far, causes some problems, and then the next guy, you know, gets to take it over. So you have two shockers, technically. That's how Correct. he's listed in the credits. You know, he's like, shocker two, you know. But um, I just thought Boogaloo. that was so cool. Throw him in there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, well, we we have the Tinkerer. He's yeah. the one making all of these inventions out of the alien tech and the human tech. Did they ever actually use that word to describe him at all? No. Did they say, hey, tinker with this? They didn't. I, 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 I was trying to so. listen to see if they even alluded to his uh, supervillain name. No. But they I just don't went with Phineas did. Mason. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And he's obviously, he's constantly hinting at the big one can we do the big one you know and michael keaton keeps putting him off he's like no don't even bring it up don't even think about it until he gets pushed too far right and then he's like peter messes up another one of their scores they're not going to make their deadlines to their clients they won't have any or they're going to make it to the next one and then they have no more parts to really continue their business so they got to what they got to interrupt moving day Right. We haven't talked about Happy Hogan in this. John Favreau coming back throughout. <laughs> it's well, been four years. years. It's hard to believe it, but it's been four yeah. years since Iron Man three, and yeah, it's happy to have him come back. And oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> it's good <laughs> to have him come back <laughs> and fill that void. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's he's just a fun presence always. You know, I mean, constantly shutting Peter down, just like oh, this kid. I don't have time for this kid, you know? And then he's so proud of himself after they get the uh, the plane all loaded up at Avengers Tower. But, Jeremy, I'm sure you were paying attention to a few of the items on his list that he said they had packed. Well, of course. You've got Captain America. Uh, well, it's, His new shield, yeah. It, the, it's the a prototype. Prototype yeah. shield. And then, of course, Thor's magic belt because they make yeah. a big deal of him i can't pronounce this he had trouble yeah. pronouncing the name so do you know what the actual name of this belt is can well, i can't say it but it, it starts with it... an m-e-g yeah it probably needs to buy a vowel just like me and your yeah <laughs> so but the question i had about captain america's shield so at this point after civil war i mean there i mean he gave tony a phone and said you know call me anytime or whatever but they're still at odds and he gave tony the shield so is there are they basically saying okay tony's working on something he's gonna make amends with cap is that do you think what's being well, set up y yeah i i would assume that that is of course in the works because tony's always kind of futuristically planning for what could be going down mm -hmm. so i mean i'm sure he's planning a a plan b for Oh, well, what if I need Cap? Mm -hmm. Like Cap's going to need something. And okay, I'm sure well, I'm sure he was even working on this before Civil War went down because that's maybe. what Tony does yeah. is he makes everybody new suits, he makes them all sorts of upgrades. So I'm sure he's been working on this long before Civil War happened. Unless they're paying off that Easter egg, but I think that happened in Avengers, right? Or like when Cap actually gets a shield. Because remember in, in Iron Man, in the background of the workshop, there was the Captain America shield, and that was like the big deal at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he was just getting it ready for when Cap was unfrozen? Or like so, or it was that what he's been working on all along, and now he's finally going to pay it mm. off? I don't know. Well, well I no, that... That was something his 
father was even working on. That wasn't even something Tony was doing. Okay. That was uh, in the box of things from his father, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because Cap had it, obviously, in, right, in, in the, the first ice. adventure. But, but, but I'm saying, like, but does that mean that Tony then has been working on this prototype one all this time? Or did he, he give whatever he was working on to Cap at some point in the Avengers films? I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find it. Because he has the magnet, you know, in Age right, of Ultron, he's got the he has the magnetic one. deal. Yeah. So Tony obviously gave him an upgrade of some sort. But uh, now, what do we think about Tony in this film? Because we haven't really mentioned much. Yeah. How did you feel about his participation? Yeah, well, loved it as always. I mean, it's <laughs> Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, I felt a lot of people complained that they felt he was being overused in the advertising. I feel like for considering how much he was in the film, I felt like it was pretty on par. My only gripe is with the poster. He's too prominent on the poster. Huge. Yeah. For, yeah. for his role in the film. The worst poster ever put together thus far. I mean, I, just... okay, Adam, you, you need to tell the listeners your tweet about this. I just saw it. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, so they just revealed on Twitter as we're recording this that that Sony spent $140 million on advertising for this movie. And I, so I just had a little bit of a comment there because if you uh, have paid attention to the, the last poster they released, which is this really terrible collage of characters that just looks so cheesy, essentially I said, well, they spent $140 million on the advertising budget, but for this particular poster, they just swapped a case of beer with a college student who was uh, in a Photoshop class, you know, so. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was heading in that direction. But that is <laughs> That is the first thing I thought when I saw the poster. I said, sophomore Photoshop project. Exactly. High school sophomore Photoshop project. Right. So granted, maybe they were playing up the the high school part. Yeah. Oh, well, that's Sony's deal because they handled all the advertising, all the marketing, which is why we got those trailers that are very MC, un-MCU-like in revealing the whole plot of the movie. Yeah, speaking of which, the That's one a thing big, that wide me, Hollywood problem right now. Yeah. Give it all away. Yeah, we'll just get you with some jokes you weren't expecting or whatever. I don't know. But, like, because the one thing I was thinking is after the big uh, Long Island ferry scene and, you know, Iron Man comes to save the day and all that, Tony basically says, you know, haven't you done enough and flies off. And then we cut to, you know, now uh, Peter is on top of a building and then tony comes to kind of chastise him does the whole thing about you know i'm gonna take the suit away but i i was realizing that there is a scene from the trailers where spider-man is on a web line behind iron man being dragged you know like fly it along with him that is not in the movie i was like that must have been how he got from the ferry to the building because they have no other (laughs) scene where they're fighting together or anything so i was like that must have been what they cut but i was like why no i i I went and researched it because i love that shot that that was a great shot feige said they they made that specifically for advertising yes it's not Uh, that was never going to be in the movie (laughs) such a downer i hope we get a scene like that in a later film oh yeah hopefully now the other thing i wanted to bring up is aunt may in this film. Oh, you mean so, Aunt Bay? <laughs> <laughs> well, she was in Captain America Civil War. I don't know what they were doing to her in this film. Direct, I mean, she, I was just so okay, sad, so actually, by it, the way they portrayed her and dressed her and everything else. No, the thing was, it's the glasses. 
they gave her some gigantic old fogey glasses and that completely <laughs> just goes oh they're playing her old rather than well, like, rather than without them they were playing her young yeah like in, in civil war she looked amazing and you're like no wonder everybody has the hots for her and tony's <laughs> you know gonna make jokes about it and stuff and then she comes in there she's wearing these weird 70s jumpsuits like she's got the big glasses and the lighting was also unfortunately not very flattering no for her. not like, flattering at all you could see like her neck like looked like the old lady neck like it was weird like like her wrinkles and things that do exist on this woman who is amazingly beautiful like but the, the, it was just not flattering and i felt bad i was like oh man it, and, that, and i the think other, that yeah. may have been a reaction to everyone's reaction in civil war yeah hmm. because but, everybody was like oh they went hot with aunt may and they're like, do it. Well, we <laughs> go, can go the other way. Don't go in the middle ground where she's young, but kind of a little nerdy and weird. You know, it's kind of like, eh, I, I was hoping for more. And uh, speaking of which, hoping for more of her. I don't know anything about the Aunt May Peter relationship in this film. We know he lives with her and that is it. He mentioned something about, I can't tell her that I'm Spider-Man after all she's been going through. What's she been going through? Like, we don't know. Well, was there no, he, There's he had the powers he for six months at Civil War. Yeah. So that means Uncle Ben's probably been dead for about eight months now. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not been long. And, and he did make mention of that. He did... I believe he mentioned Uncle Ben or he referenced around it. I was listening for the words Uncle or Ben and I just didn't hear him. Nothing. Like, because there is the lack of origin story of this yeah. film. I understand it's a reaction to mm-hmm. so many reboots and, right. and harping on the origin story of the first trilogy. But I still but, wanted a sense of that tragedy to motivate him, and I didn't feel it, a whole lot of yeah, it. Yeah, I was so sad. There's no mention of it at all, and they're swinging way too far the other way of like, oh, here's just a Spider Man story. Enjoy it. And you're like, well, but, and again, he indicated something ever so slightly in Civil War. But again, you know, yeah. nothing. It, we're, into that but the the thing that i was bummed about is like he does even say like to ned at one point he's like the spider's dead like indicating because ned asked him a question again he was mumbling i couldn't understand but like it seemed to indicate like what about happened to the spider that bit you that gave you your powers and then peter said the spider's dead do you guys oh, remember yeah, that yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so bodega yeah because yeah. he kept pestering him and he was like so if i got bit by the spider too would i get and oh, then that's, that's when peter's like no the spider's dead yeah, so it's just yeah. like, again, all these hints, but you just, you don't know why Peter's Spider-Man, and I understand why they don't want to go into it, but I just something, something, at least a conversation with Aunt May, where you feel like why they're connected and why he, you know, he has to protect her, whatever he feels he has to do. Like, I just, I, I did miss that, because I felt like that probably was necessary for storytelling, even though it didn't need to go like high drama. But just some comment. Me, I would have settled simply for a somber moment where he's looking at an old picture or an album or something. I would have been fine. Just seeing a picture of Uncle Ben would have done it for me. Like after he loses, quote, the internship, you know, Mm -hmm. like maybe at that moment while he's down, down, down. Yeah. And he kind of remembers that. That, Maybe that. That would have been a perfect beat. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're holding off on that for the sequel. Let that, 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 that would be let wise. that let that story because you have no story after the fourth Avengers film. Like you're essentially kicking off the rest of 
forever with Spider-Man. So diving more into him, much like we did with Tony Stark, Spider-Man's going to become the new Tony Stark. That's like what, that's the theory. They're I've had setting in my mind. him up. He's being groomed. He's yeah, especially. Maybe, well, so maybe. Is, is your thought that they're going to replace, they're going to have Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and he becomes Iron Man? Is that kind of the thought? You know, I, I we talk about that Easter egg with that Aaron out. Davis? Yeah, let's go into it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah so, somebody uh, explain for those who don't know okay. the, the whole history of, of that, why he's even in the movie. So one of, yeah. one of the Vulture's clients was a thief named Aaron Davis. He's played by Donald Glover. Fans for many years have been pushing. They want Donald Glover to be Miles he Morales. He even pushed. Yeah, okay. He even pushed Although to he, be Spider-Man. he admits that he did not create it. He yeah. didn't start it, but then he kind of went So, with as it. a small right. wink to the fans, they cast Donald Glover to be Aaron Davis, who is a super, later becomes a supervillain called The Prowler, and he has a nephew named Miles Morales. So, that was a nice wink to the audience there. Yeah. That was very cool, and I loved their their scene at the end when Spider Man goes into an intimidation mode. Interrogation <laughs> mode. <laughs> yeah, becomes becomes Batman for yeah. a second. That, you that know? was great. But I know what a girl sounds like. I'm not a girl. <laughs> and then I love at the very end where he was telling me, you know, he's like, "You got to get better at this, man." And then when he shoots him with the webs and and webs him to his car, and then he's like, "Yeah, that'll dissolve in two hours." He's like, "Oh no, man!" He's like, "You deserve it. You're a criminal." And he's like, "I got ice cream in there." <laughs> like, that was just such a great little throwaway line yeah. under his breath. I don't know if you guys heard that. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was pretty good, but yeah. So I mean, I thought it was a real nice little nod there, and I was, I was like, yeah, the Prowler, because they mentioned something when he's talking about the tech that he's buying from the guys out of the back of the van. He's like, look, why are you trying to upsell me? I just want something to hold somebody up. And then they mentioned something about claws, right? And he's like, oh yeah, Yeah. claws. But you know, the Prowler obviously has Mm -hmm. that. If you know that, very odd costume. And he he mentions he's got a nephew that lives in the neighborhood, Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Without saying his name, but yeah. Oh, and uh, while we're on the subject of Tony Stark, uh, let's let's jump to the end there. So Peter stops the vulture, saves the day, saves all the tech, and Tony brings him in, which that scene with Happy in the bathroom is hilarious. <laughs> it is awkwardly hilarious. <laughs> that the, kid, I hope he has a, a bright career ahead of him. Oh, he's just like... Just like <laughs> that look the whole time, like y'all are weird. <laughs> and and so Happy takes Peter to the new Avengers facility. Mm-hmm. Tony brings him in and shows him the new upgraded the Iron, Iron Spider. Spider. Oh man. And the audience flipped when they oh, saw that. Yeah. They were like, oh <gasps> it, it was such a great moment. And so Tony's tempting him. He's like, I got 50 reporters waiting on the other side of this wall and we're ready to announce you as the new newest Avenger and just waiting on you kid and Peter really just realizes the weight of everything and is like I'm going to need to hold off on this I'm going to uh, stick to the the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man stuff I mean I'm only 15 (laughs) I was so happy with that decision. I did not want a new costume for him when they finally got one. Oh, that right. Is 
probably as close to comics accurate as we're going to get, even though it's got a few little Stark upgrades in While it. While being consistent but, with what the MCU look is. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but I was just like, I was like, please don't do that. Like, I, Iron Spider, it's cool, whatever. But I was just like, I don't need another action figure variant or anything. Just let him be. You finally hit on it. Let I like it that it's there as a yeah. carrot for know? the future. Yeah. Much yeah. like in Iron Man 1, mm-hmm. Rhodey looks at the silver suit and he's like, next time. Next time. <laughs> Now, uh, then we get an awesome cameo was not expecting. I'm sure you guys right. probably knew it Pepper was coming. Pepper Potts but... comes bursting through the wall and is like, where's the kid? Like, we're ready to announce. We got like, 50 hungry reporters wanting Yay. an yeah. announcement. Happy ending here we get. You know, Literally from well. Happy himself because he's like, <laughs> I've got this engagement ring. I've been holding onto it since 2008. Wink, wink. <laughs> so that... that's where we're going with the MCU is Pepper and Tony. Like... I, they had to give the media something. <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm hoping they, this will be their equivalent, Mar- Marvel Studios, this will be their equivalent of the Sue Storm Reed Richards wedding. Who knows? Maybe. If, if they go that route, I'd love that. Well, as long as they have a shot that has all these superheroes in the pews, yeah. yeah. So you just get a super Easter egg movie after Infinity War. In the middle of Infinity War, they get married. Everybody stops to go to the wedding. And they... <laughs> oh, it's a classic panel from the comics. But no, yeah, that's yeah, that was that was just nice to see. I was happy to have her back because you know the last thing we heard was we're on a break, right? Yeah, you know, that, yeah. Like, which, we, which is code for her contract was <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm no. just kidding. They did, was... they actually filmed scenes. They, they did right. film some scenes that are on the cutting room floor. But I, me, I like being sardonic. Granted, I I also had the same feeling that it was well, you know, they didn't want to pay up to get her into the movie, or it just it didn't fit with the cut, so they didn't have to. The the drum. Russo brothers, they're, they're very they got strong artistic integrity. I'll bet you is for artistic reasons yeah. more than Mar- Marvel but, Studios is cheap. But Sony was more than willing to pony up the money. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh we f- we need you for about a three minute set. Oh okay. <laughs> but we Write have to mention check. the last cameo that we got a brief mention, but we got. Captain America, Chris Evans. Oh, boy. Oh, these instructional videos. He just keeps popping up, man. The detention one brought down the house. So you got detention. You want to know what's really cool? Take it from a guy who's been frozen for 60 years. (laughs) Grandpa telling all these kids what's cool. And the gym teacher, Hannibal Burris, it was just funny. He He was was on the wrong side of the TV. Well, he's on the wrong yes. side of the TV, and then also he's like, I don't know, he's some war criminal now, but I gotta play these, so here you go. Oh, so good. And and the finale, we have to mention it because everyone else is mentioning it. Mm-hmm. We stick around because it's a Marvel movie, mm-hmm. and Captain America shows up for another PSA. On patience. And on the smug look patience. on his face. Uh, as he's like, patience. Waiting for something, even if it doesn't live up to your expectations. How many more of these ask, do I have to do? Yeah, in, in your theaters, I just I can't believe that it still happens at all. Like, I know. Did anybody get up before oh, the end yes. of the credit? Like it drives three me crazy. quarters of the theater. What yeah, are they yeah. thinking? <laughs> Who are these people? Have they learned nothing? I was uh, I was this close to calling them out, saying, "Dude, where are you going?" But I, I didn't have it. In. Uh, <laughs> now the other tag that we did not mention 
it plays into a specific dynamic. So Peter goes back to his home. He finds a brown paper bag there with a note from Tony Stark. This suit belongs to you. So he puts it on and you're having this like heroic music play and it's panning around. And all of a sudden Aunt May is standing in the door. What (laughs) What the? And it cuts to credits. What the F? (laughs) Literally, that's all you heard and it cuts. And for me, that was the same as the I Am Iron Man moment from 2008. So that that for me is like the cherry on top of, uh, yeah, he's being groomed to replace Tony when the time comes. So this was also something Kevin Feige has been carrying around for a while. Mm -hmm. Because there was a panel and and a comic... I wish I remembered the the artist and the writer's name about it, but where Aunt May finds out about it through the wash. And so she has a sit-down with Peter about, so you're (laughs) Spider-Man. And it goes, it changes their dynamic. Didn't know yeah, about I, I this have story. To believe that's the, the ultimate Spider-Man. The only I version I'm like familiar with is the one where, on uh, her deathbed, she confesses that she's known he's Spider-Man for a very long time. Right, that's, that's the that version one I too. Knew. No, there was a more recent one. I don't believe it was the Ultimates with Bendis. Oh um, really? Oh okay. No, because she was uh, a younger Aunt May, slightly younger Aunt yeah, May than that. And I, no. I think I thought towards the end, like pretty much everybody knew he was Spider-Man before was... he died. Spoiler: Peter Parker dies in the Ultimate Universe. Right. Was, are, you about, are you talking about? Are you talking about the switching of the bodies with Doc Ock? Or is that different? No, that's a different one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's the six six. That's Superior that's Spider-Man. That that was depressing. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> so but, there was there was that, and so. They've been wanting to do something like this, and this was the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Because we really don't have secret identities, except, like, Daredevil still. Mm-hmm. Except his inner circle, everyone knows. I mean, we're right. going to learn about that here in a month when Defenders, Defenders comes out. <laughs> and pretty much Spider-Man was the only one that we really were keeping secret mm-hmm. as to mm-hmm. his... Yeah. Well, and I got to say, I love also we get we get the Ramones twice in this movie, like, a, you know, a <laughs> seminal New that. York band, you know, so we get, we get Blitzkrieg Bop for the closing credits with some pretty cool animations and stuff like that. So that was that was a fun, uh, a fun little extra, you know, bit of energy to, to pop into the film throughout. I thought that was pretty cool. Can I briefly touch on the writers of this film? Yeah, I mean, they had to, I believe about six screenwriters had to work on this. I was worried because some of them, uh, I'll drop a name, John Francis Daly. You, you might know him. He was the main character on Freaks and Geeks. He He's a writer now. And on the one hand, he wrote Horrible Bosses, which I enjoyed. And on the other hand, he wrote that awful vacation reboot. <laughs> so I was worried about this. And I got to say, I think he did a good job. It was a very spry script and... I mean, I know he had to share the work with other people, but he got top billing out of all the writers. And oh. yeah, so that's I, awesome that that's him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of freaks and geeks, Martin Starr is yeah. the, the yeah. academic yeah mm-hmm. advisor, right? Okay, that, I thought it was him. I was yeah. like, oh. it's him or Justin Long. Some people, some people, identical. some people were complaining that Martin Starr and Hannibal Burris were thrown away. I, I don't know. I thought they got yeah. decent laughs. Hey, yeah, decent, they got some good decent. lines. Yeah, and and it's there for the future. And for me, Hannibal Burris will always be the man who brought down Bill Cosby. 
Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, uh, so are we gonna get to our our final. Yeah, uh, were rating? there were there any other key events that happened during the movie that you wanted to touch on that we haven't really? Because we kind of glossed over a lot. I mean, this movie is very dense, and I would yeah. love to go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I went and picked up a Fandango voucher. I'm gonna go see it again. There you go. Uh, gosh to think because you're right yeah there's just so much going on it's very easy to miss some of the smaller details but i like i mean the... we really haven't even discussed the the final third act fight at all other than yeah he won but i remember well to me it, it was just it was one of those things where it i don't know because there wasn't like hatred between the characters it was kind of, it was kind of what i mentioned at the beginning you know when i talked about michael keaton like he's really just like kid leave me alone so he's like he, he was i mean he was gonna kill him i mean he was trying to blast him and all this stuff but it was the sort of thing where like they're fighting they're fighting and it's just that he all he really wanted though was to get the equipment you know the he score. wanted to get that like he yeah, was he there for the score, the score. Yeah, not to, you didn't care to kill Spider-Man, but, you know, if you had to, he was going to. So I just thought that was such an interesting, we've gotten so many villain, you know, especially in the Spider-Man movies, villain dies at the end, right? Venom right. got vaporized, you know, you have uh, Doc Ock drowns, you know, uh, Green Goblin kills himself, you know, just in all the movies, they they just die. Uh, so it was just one of those things where I felt like it was nice to have a, a resolution mm-hmm. that didn't have to end that way. It was just kind of like they both, you know, uh, were true to themselves. Look, I'm not trying to kill anybody. I'm not that right. kind of villain. Yeah. I'm just the trailer. Spider-Man, I just save you. Yeah, you the, tra- the trailer made it look like Vulture was the one who tore the fairy in half, just straight up. In the film, you find out it's a little more complicated than that. The fairy was torn in half by accident. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so I just, yeah. I, I liked that the film had that when the trailer made it look like he was going to be a full-on no holds barred homicidal maniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on is, uh, I mean, I, I know we already mentioned the high school aspect, but I remember uh, specifically Marvel Studios was going for a John Hughes classic '80s feel. Um, uh, one of you mentioned earlier you were a little annoyed by how much background dressing the grown-ups were, and that's kind of how John Hughes films were back in the day. You know, my parents complained endlessly that they didn't like Ferris Bueller's Day Off because they felt Ferris. Ferris's parents were too easily fooled. And I'm like, that's kind of the point. When you're a teenager, you fool your parents. <laughs> right. And just those awkward moments of being a teenager and the Zendaya's character, Michelle, just all those things. Were, like, for example, for her, um, Michelle, she reminded me of Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club, the weird, lonely right. outsider, you know? Those John Hughes moments, the Ferris Bueller chase through the backyards, ooh, smells delicious. Uh, they might even have, the clip of Ferris. Yeah, they yeah, might have hit the it. hammer on the head a little too much by showing that clip, but I I didn't mind because I wanted everybody to know we're reliving great beats that John Hughes perfected thirty years ago that people have struggled to hit ever since. You know. All right, let's wind down. Let's go to our final ratings. Where do we sit with this movie, Adam? Um, I think for me, I, I enjoyed it. Like it really breezed by, it was like, you know, like a lot of laughs. There was a lot of fun in it. Um, it didn't feel epic to me in any way. So it wasn't like this event movie. It was just kind of a, 
a, a you know a smaller adventure. So like it's not one of those where I would hold up like this is a great film. I I, I just thought it was a really enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. So for me it was an eight. Like I would watch it again, but I did not want to run back into the theaters to see it. Like you guys have mentioned to me, it's like I'll wait for Blu-ray. I'll buy it. I'll watch it a couple times. Gotcha. But but it's not like a seminal film for me in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, so let me let me give you a second part here. Where amongst the Spider-Man movies does this fall for you? Okay. Well, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say for me, it's like, you know, if I'm going in order of, of, you know, best to worst for me, it's like Spider-Man two, then amazing Spider-Man two, then the first Spider-Man, then amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man three. And then, so, you know, if I'm going with that original trilogy, so I would put this actually, uh, right, uh, under spider-man 2 for me like where it just felt like it's it's good it's not the iconic spider-man for me yet it's a it's a reinvention so i have a little bit of you know uh i just give i drop it a little bit for that just for my own reasons so i i put it right under spider-man 2 well you do have a thing for your spider-man sequels so homecoming (laughs) 2 will probably be right up there. that's what i'm hoping yeah (laughs) all right colton where do you sit Easily nine out of ten. I really I had a blast at this. I can't wait to go back. Uh, as for ranking with the other films, um, my favorite has always been Spider-Man Two, and I'm the type of guy who it's my policy. I do not want to be Phantom Menaced, where I get super excited about the latest blockbuster and just rank it super high and get psyched up about it, and then just kind of revisit it and find out it wasn't all that great. The last time that happened to me was with Thor: The Dark World, and I'm not letting that happen again. So I'm not. I can't give a definitive ranking yet. I'm willing to say 9 out of 10. I'm not ready to say it's better than Spider-Man 2 yet, but it's possible I could change my mind in the future. All right, well, So basically I, second place. Yeah. I, having rewatched Spider-Man 2 last night, I will rank this ahead of it. Okay. Uh, totally well. fair. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Spider-Man 2. I enjoyed this one more. It may be because it's the new shiny thing. Yeah. But it may also be just how connected I am with everything that it is entailed within it. Because it's not just Spider-Man. It's also, it's part of this connected universe of which I'm so high on that it's connected and it's got all the beats that make sure that it's up there for me. I'm probably sitting in the eight to nine range. I'll hold off final reviews, but like in retrospect, I'm probably going to be sitting around the same for it. Um, But it's like a slight, slight. uh, Let's see it's slightly ahead of Spider-Man 2. Like, by the narrowest of hairs, and hopefully after further watching, that'll escalate, and the ground will be made up. Fair enough. Now, I'm curious to see now, because we know that Sony is uh, 
now moving forward with a Venom film, not connected at all to the MCU, uh, none yeah. of that. But they, but they, they didn't learn their lesson. Yeah, they're, you know, they're like, well, we still have this property. Let's do something with it. You know, it's like, ah, oh, guys, come on. And then it's how how long will uh, it take for? Fox to not see returns on their terrible X-Men films. I'm not enjoying where they're going with it. This dark, you know, the dark Phoenix movie that's coming out. I'm but, not but excited. Deadpool about. and cable. What about Deadpool and cable? <laughs> maybe there. Well, okay. Maybe, so but, I hope they have a joke about Josh Brolin being yeah, there hopefully. and in the MCU. That'd be great. <laughs> hopefully. That's Thanos. Well, okay. Fox, Fox is never going to play ball. The only property so. they have a shot at playing ball with is the Fantastic Four. And mm-hmm. they're doing everything possible to not play ball. Um, I'm betting that they're holding out to see how well this Spider-Man Homecoming plays out. If it makes money, if it works out, that would be the litmus test, really, for inter-studio connectivity. But uh, last I heard, Fox was talking slightly in development about a young Fantastic Four movie. Like like the children of the Fantastic Four? The children Four? of the Fantastic oh, Four. Uh, like on. Franklin Richards. So desperate. Doing everything they can. They're going to let it play out development-wise until yeah. it doesn't work. And Kevin Feige mentioned a couple weeks ago there have been absolutely no talks between exactly. the studios. They're just, they're, nobody has extended anything resembling an olive branch. Now, as for Sony... Sony has the Venom movie that's been announced and also Silver and Black. Silver and Black is Black Cat and Silver Sable, kind of their femme fatales movie. Now, there was Uh, some confusion. Yeah, there was some (laughs) confusion recently over well, are these part of the MCU? Are they not? But it's been a little verbal flub. That was that was funny watching Kevin Feige's face. Uh, like what did you just say (laughs) but being the professional he is he wasn't going to call her out during the interview well they both have come out and said it's not part of the MCU but this world that they've developed it's essentially more or less going to be an alternate reality Mm -hmm. where if they were smart they would do this and have that universe side or aside and treat Spider-Man kind of like the boogeyman. Like he's spoken of a glimpse of him is seen swinging by or a shadow passing him mm-hmm. and treat him like the boogeyman because that would work so that they don't have to have him. Even more subtle than the way Batman was treated in Suicide Squad. Yes. Okay. And then also where... If they did bring him in, you're in an alternate reality. So cast someone else if you need one. Or do your own thing. Or create a Spider-Verse if you wanted to go that desperate. And have the Ben Rileys and all of the different variations. <laughs> Trippy. And just go off and play in your little sandbox. Spider-Carnage. Right. <laughs> but That was crazy. We are, that is the rumored villain for the Venom movie, is Carnage. Cletus Cassidy. Which, if 
if you understand that Tom Hardy signed on as Venom. And he's a tough sell, so. He doesn't sign on unless it's a good movie. Yeah. Like, he was attached to Suicide Squad until he found out some things about it mm-hmm. and was like, I'm out. Yeah. So, maybe that's the litmus test that we'll find out that maybe it'll be good as a one-off movie. Or if they're mm-hmm. smart, they'll just make one-off movies rather than try to make this connected universe over there outside of what's going on in the general population. Well, hope for the best. <laughs> we, yeah, that's all we can hope for is hopefully they'll make some decent movies. Yay. So, any final words, guys? I believe that's everything. I got nothing. <laughs> The spider's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, you know, I almost, you almost forget that Tom Holland is British. Yeah. Yeah. Good accent. Like, he really caked that accent thick. And he, for his age, 20, he does really look like a high school student, which is is incredibly (laughs) difficult to do in today's Hollywood. By the way, did you guys see that video of that dance show he was on? Yes. Oh, jeez. That, geez. that yeah. was amazing. Like, just the acrobatics of stuff he was doing. With, I mean, obviously, he's it, in a Rihanna costume. It's it kind of weird. but It was both awe-inspiring and off-putting at the same yes. time. Yeah. But I was just like, his physicality of that, I was just like, this guy, no yeah. wonder he's And also, Spider-Man. let me say, I'm glad the studio's going to keep the high school thing for the next few films. Sony oh, yeah. chickened out the last time around saying, yeah, we're doing high school. And then they had him graduate right at the very beginning of the sequel. Oh, was yeah. That was so lame. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Marvel Studios is going to make sure they stick around this time. Yeah. They're... Although I, 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 I grew up with that Spider-Man with graduated from college, Spider-Man married to Mary right. Jane, Spider-Man, yeah. adult Spider-Man. So I kind of wish we'd get that someday. I don't think we will. I think it's always going to be youngish Spider-Man. But, uh, but I, I would love to see that confident hero who has years and years under his belt who is, you know, still dealing with stuff, but is just a different kind. He's not an awkward kid playing superhero. You know, like, I, I want to see, you know, the, the adult playing Spider-Man, but I don't think that'll happen. But. Maybe they could do that in the Venomverse. Be cool. There's that, and Tom Holland said he is totally open to, oh, yeah. to he, being Spider-Man deep into his 30s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whether or not that changes, you know, five years, but we'll see. Well, until our next show, make sure to hit the theaters, go out and support those movies that are in theaters now. Make sure to let the studios know what you want to see by voting with your dollars. And of course, in your downtime or on your commute, listen to all of the Sequel Quest and Sequel Chat back catalog at SequelQuestPod.com or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Podcasts, and more. We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at SequelQuestPod.com now. Now.